The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome back to another episode of Trading Secrets. Today, we are joined by an entrepreneurial success story who co-founded one of the major up-and-coming entertainment production companies in the country, Jake Nussbaum. Jake and his partner, Josh, co-founded Uncommon Entertainment, an experience agency who produces bespoke live events and provides access to exclusive experiences around the world for those who live in quite the elevated style. Uncommon Entertainment has produced A-list events across the country from Hollywood to the Hamptons. Their most notable upcoming event will be hosting a star-studded party at Super Bowl 57 in Scottsdale this Sunday after a successful event at last year's Super Bowl in Los Angeles, which featured performances by Justin Bieber and Drake. Today, we are going to learn all about behind the scenes of the A-list party production, what it takes to produce some of the world's most popular events, and what these two have done and what they have in sight for the future. Jake, thank you so much for being here on Trading Secrets. We are excited to have you. Appreciate you having me. Okay, now for people back home, this is, I'm going to call Jake. We're just going to refer to him as the mystery man, okay? Because this is how I came across Jake. Syracuse, New York. For all my, you know, my Buffalo people back there, we know Syracuse University. They host Tom Brady, Jimmy Fallon, and Julian Edelman, a.k.a. Jules, for just a random Syracuse basketball event. And I'm sitting there scratching my head. The agency guy in me is like, who did this deal? Well, I see the picture. Jake's there. Okay. Then I see this other Super Bowl party in Miami that he puts together. It was like, was it the Post Malone party? What party? Okay. Post yeah, Malone. Post Malone yep. I see a picture. Jake's there. Then I meet Jake. Then I see another party. Justin Bieber. Jake's there. Then I see Drake. Jake's there. Then this gets even better for all my people that are fans of Low and I. Low and I are hosted by the chief marketing officer and the entire marketing staff of the LA Rams front and center down at the suite right at the end zone. I look to my left. And Jake's there. He's in Devante Adams suite working a Taco Bell deal. He's the mystery man. He's everywhere with the biggest people in the entire planet. And how old are you, Jake? 29. 29. Okay. So 30 I'm, this year. So I'm having him on Trading Secrets today to talk about not even your curiosities back home, my curiosities. How does this guy get these deals with the biggest people? What are they paid? How does he orchestrate them, et cetera? So Jake, what was the first thing you did to get into this industry and really break into an industry in which you are trying to get a hold of the most demanded people in the entire world? Yeah. So uh, I was an athlete growing up, uh, upstate New York, Albany area, and I, once I realized that I wasn't going to play professional sports, which is a lot of kids' dreams, um, I knew I wanted to be in sports in some way, shape, or form. Went to college at UMass Amherst, graduated, didn't learn much, to be honest with you, but I learned <laughs> growing up, I learned how to be a good person and know that networking is, is really an important part of life and fell into a good situation right out of college at a company called Talent Resources, who actually is producing another event this weekend as well. And, you know, I worked there for three years and just really fell into the right situation there where I was able to learn, uh, meet a lot of really great people. At the time, the company was producing the Rolling Stones Super Bowl party, which they're actually producing again this year. Wow. Um, and I kind of just got thrown into the mix and I never knew I wanted to be in events, uh, but I've learned that I was good at it and I could leverage the events that we're producing to meet the right people to kind of help with other business ventures in life. And uh, that's kind of how I fell into the 
the sports and entertainment world. Okay, so Talent Resources, that's a name I'm super familiar with. For people back home, they do a ton of events and they do a ton of social media and brand endorsement work. So that's a name that sounds familiar. I've probably done a bunch of deals with them. What was your role at Talent Resources? Um, so I kind of came in and was on the sports side there. I was a small company. So when anyone wants to kind of get into the sports or entertainment industry, there's kind of two routes, right? Yep. There's one route that you can go and kind of go to a bigger agency like a CAA, WME, Wasserman, yep. or you can go more boutique. Okay. There's no which, there's no right way or wrong way, but I went the boutique route and, you know, basically led up the brand partnership side of things for the sports and athletes that we had relationships with. So kind of just connecting brands to these athletes. And then we also produced a number of events throughout the year. And that's kind of how I got into the event world. Because people are going to hear this and they're going to be like super intrigued. Like that is sexy. That is fun. That is cool. Did you have any type of connection into the sports world before you landed this job? Um, I interned at a company called a legacy agency, okay. um, which now has kind of broken up and had a few different names, but that was kind of my first taste of being in that sports world. I initially wanted to be a baseball agent. I realized that law school was not, not for me, but you can make money and be successful doing marketing and kind of just kind of being the guy that everyone comes to for a potential deal. So no money is really left on the table. Knowing what you know about sports, I'm going off the, off the record here or off the uh, script here, but do you, do most agents of baseball players, NFL players, NHL uh, players, do they have to actually be an attorney? Is that like something that's a definite pre-qualification? No. No. Okay. But so it's, it's definitely helpful. It is a misconception. Okay. I think it definitely gives you a lot more credibility. Okay. You know, a athlete that has a contract being negotiated, it's probably better to have it looked at it a by a lawyer, but you look at Lamar Jackson, who doesn't have an agent, yeah. right? I believe his mom might be his agent or negotiating yep. on his behalf. I don't believe that she has a law degree. So no, you do not, but definitely gives you more credibility. Gotcha. Okay. When you're working at Talent Resources, for anyone that's interested in a job like that, around how much do you get paid? Like how much money can you make in a role like that? Honestly, I started off and I think I was working for free. Really? Yeah. I worked, uh, I started off as an intern and basically said, I would put in the work for the next three months. And if you felt that it was a right fit, wow. you know, I think my probably starting salary was maybe like 50, 60 grand, okay. um, which, you know, isn't much, but I knew that I will work harder than anyone. And I wanted to get my foot in the door. And that was really the first opportunity that was presented to me. And I attacked it. Okay. And before we leave the chapter of your life that was with talent resources, when you're doing these deals, you're finding brands and you're connecting them with athletes. What is like the typical size of the deal and how are, how are brands justifying the cost? Like, so if there's based on the size, say it's hundred K, like how are they saying this makes sense? What was that process like? Yeah. I mean, for me, it was a good learning experience to kind of distinguish. I focused mainly on the athletes, right? Okay. And they, there was a whole other team that focused on the celebrity side of things. The athletes see themselves, their play on the field might not reflect on like a social media following, right? So yeah. it's kind of difficult to weigh from a brand perspective, what makes the most sense to spend on a partnership because an athlete might want more money because of their on the field play versus what their social following might be. So for me, it was just a kind of a good learning experience to be there for three years, learn the ins and outs of the industry, what market value and market rates are for athletes and what brands kind of want and are looking for. And I was able to use the events that we put together at Super Bowl, at the ESPYs to meet these athletes, to get these direct relationships, to engage them with brands, which a lot of times we would just go direct to the athlete. 
and that was kind of our their management group. Correct. And stuff. That was kind Got of the it. bread and butter that I learned there, which I've implemented in throughout my career for you know the last nine years. No offense to agents, I work with a lot of agents, sure. but sometimes you can't guarantee that the deal is actually going to get to the athlete. Sure. Sure. So. It's well, better to go as direct as possible. We just had Rob Gronkowski on recently after the podcast. I wish we were recording. He said FanDuel's the biggest deal he's ever gotten. His dad negotiated the deal. So that makes a lot of sense. I'm curious, though, for brand's perspective. Would they rather have uh, uh, an athlete that has a big social media following or an athlete that is better on the field? Which serves them better? I think it depends on the deal. Okay. I think Rob is an outlier sure. when it comes to athletes. Of course. But, you know, again, I think that Local markets, if you're tar if a brand's targeting a local market, I think probably on the field play plays a big role. If you're looking for a global presence, finding an athlete with a large social media following will, you know, probably directly relate to more positive ROI or direct sales. And give me some size when you're at talent resources of the type of deals you would work with, like five to twenty-five K, five K to five hundred K, five to five million. What did it look like? So I was fresh out of college, right? I didn't really know what type of deals were presented, what type of money kind of came to the table. Definitely a lot of smaller deals, right? Quick 5Ks, 10Ks, 20Ks, 30Ks, 40Ks. The biggest deal we did was a deal actually with a tennis player, Angelique Kerber. And it was a company out of Australia called Slim Secrets. Okay. It was a two-year deal. I think it was maybe a half a million dollars wow. close to it. That was, you know, like a logo on the tennis bag and social media posts. So that was, uh, that was the biggest one that I did at my time there. Okay. So you're there for three years and then you transition. How do you transition out of it? What'd you transition to? Yeah, it wasn't easy yeah. um, because that was all I knew. It was the only people that I knew. So I really found that I was strong in the event space. Okay. So I, it was kind of just time for me to leave. Is you there know? more money in the event space? Yes. I think that the it's like quick, quicker hits, right? Yes, there's more time. So like, we'll get into this, but like, you know, planning a Super Bowl event is, it starts right when the next one ends, okay. right? So Super Bowl, Super Bowl in LA ends, we're out to Arizona that, that next week, you know, trying to find the venue that makes the most sense for what we're trying to do. Wow. So I found the event space as one that is, one, you can make money and two, you can monetize a lot of other avenues from those events. Got it. Cause you could have, you could have ticket sales. You could then have advertisers once you have the big headliner. Right. But aren't you, we've seen so many of these like fire fests and these big events where there's no way that you can pay for these big people and monetize. How have you been able to do it different than some of the, like fire festival is one of them, obviously that was completely fraud. And then there was this new one. I don't know if you heard about blended festival. That was a complete fraud. The chain smokers didn't get paid on that. So that's actually a funny story. What I heard was the producer of that show. So a lot of these events are all structured in a different way. Yeah. Um, you know, at these culturally relevant moments where, which we're so focused in, in implementing some sort of presence at yeah. for our company we fully fund these events, right? So we are 100% at risk on these projects. Wow. Um, yes. So it's kind of our job to bring in revenue or align with the right figures. It could be a media partner. You see there's Rolling Stone, Maxim, Playboy, Sports Illustrated events that are happening all throughout. Sure. Or you can align with a hospitality group and a big artist and pull in a title sponsor and then other supporting sponsors as well to help kind of fund it. And then you'll sell some VIP tables to help offset some costs. And hopefully you're in the profit zone. 
Gotcha. Of oh wow, I'm so fascinated this, and now I'm going down the deep end. But once once I'm in the rabbit hole, it's tough to get out. When you do that, where of all those sources of revenue, when you look at the P and L, especially after Super Bowl, what is the greatest source of revenue or profitability? Is it the bottle service? It is. It starts with sponsors. Okay. Sponsors fuel everything else. Got it. So you know we have Cash App Visa. That's our title sponsor of the event. Um, Taco Bell is coming in as a kind of a level two sponsor. And then we have liquor brands coming in, a couple other supporting brands to kind of kind of help offset offset talent costs, okay. theoretically, plus more so. And then our table sales will hopefully kind of put us over the hump to, you know, hopefully make whatever it might be. Okay. I don't want a specific amount for each person because I don't want to get you in trouble. But when you generalize this type of person, like a Drake, a Justin Bieber, a Post Malone, a Big Time, a Rihanna, like you put these like big performers in a bucket. On average, what do you think they're charging for like a performance? Great question. And I think there's a, it doesn't have to do with money. Interesting. I think that when you get to become a certain level of talent, like a Justin Bieber, like a Drake, like a Rihanna, like a Beyonce, they want, they've done it all, right? So for us, and the reason why we've, I have to give credit where credit's due. The Hwood Group, who's our partner on this Super Bowl event, who's our partner in Miami and our partner in LA, they are amazing to work with and they have amazing relationships that they built over the last 20 years of being in the industry to have a trust factor when it comes to booking large level talent. A lot of these other events that are happening have great talent, but they perform a lot, right? So sure. our business model kind of for the last couple of years, and I've been fortunate enough to produce Rolling Stone, Playboy, Maxim, Sports Illustrated events. So e literally every single event that is going on this weekend with a big media partner, I've been a part of it in some capacity. Okay. So we think a little bit differently. We'll go and attack a big artist with our, with our hospitality group and partner, Hwood, and find that big artist and then find a title sponsor that can kind of help support that. To answer your previous question, uh, creating an environment that is very unique from a performance level is really what we try to do. We want to make a we want to create a show around Drake. So he's coming in and he's having an amazing time. He just performed at the Apollo Theater in New York. Yep. It was a totally unique setting for him to perform in. So for us, you know, we want to create a moment that is really set up for him, no one else, for him to have a good time good experience and everything else will follow. So rather than like a Drake or Justin Bieber, all these people being focused on how much am I getting paid to do this performance? It's more that they're focused on what's the exclusivity of it? Who's there? How is the performance being perceived? What's the art of it? All these other, like what's the exclusivity? Is it the best, most exclusive spot in the best location at the Super Bowl? Those are the intangibles to them that's probably more important than the dollar amount. Correct. Money obviously does Money play a obviously role, talks. but- they are, they're on a, they're in a different level of talent yeah. um, when comparing to other performers that are kind of performing yeah. outside of, you know, obviously Rihanna's doing the half time show, but more of these smaller parties, it's really been important for us to create just a different environment and a different setting with the right people, with the right table layout. We have a center stage, which no other event does Got at it. Super Bowl. So there's a sea of amazing fans surrounding Drake right while he's performing there. and 
it makes him just want to keep going and keep the energy high. And that's something that we really pride ourselves on is, is crowd is the crowd experience, which in turn turns to his experience being great and wanting to do more of these. Got it. I got to be the drill down guy because it's just what I do. Cardi B, I know for a, uh, uh, in the Hamptons, it was a bar mitzvah. She did 30 minute performance, 300 grand. A Super Bowl event, is it, give me an idea. There's somewhere in the like 250 to 750 range. Am I off? Am I close? For who? For any, for like a big artist. Um, I I don't want to get you, I don't want to point Drake out because I know you can't speak to that. You already told me that, but like a Justin Bieber, some of these people, like I want to generalize because I don't want to get you in trouble contractually, but like these big people, what are it like 250 to 750? Yeah, I would say, you know, to when you're looking at P&Ls and looking at kind of what costs go into an event, right? Being able to strategize and finding the right talent for the right value is the most important, right? You can find a, you can find a great talent for a hundred thousand dollars, but they're, they actually might take 300 grand for another gig or, you know, their market rate can vary depending on the type of setting of the event that it actually is. Knowing all of the events that are going on, I would say a fair range, not including our event for other events that are going on. Talent probably ranged from 100,000 to, I would say, 400 to 500,000 at the max per artist. Got it. Um, just knowing the market and, and what knowing other what acts are out it. there. Interesting. And then we saw, I was doing some research for this podcast on the table list, like the amount that people will pay. I think that the, the largest table number, tell me if I'm wrong, it was like fifty or $75,000? We have a couple packages that we actually curate specifically for you know, someone who wants just a really high end elevating experience. We have a package that's $250,000. That's um, <laughs> 250K for yeah. an event. What do you get? What you, you get kind of an area that fits about 25 people. Okay. It's current, it's barricaded off. So no one else can get in private security. Say there's a brand logo that they want to put on the pillows. We'll fully brand it. You, you get unlimited alcohol. So, you know, whatever our alcohol sponsor drink is, until you drop. Grey Goose and Patron. Yeah. And you drink until you drop. And it's more of the space that you have, right? This place, you know, we're doing it at a hangar and it's going to be a, an absolute zoo, yeah. right? So creating a setting where you actually have a little bit more comfortable ability to just enjoy the event, right? Have the best line of sight to the stage and, you know, have a little bit of room to move around. Do you get backstage access for 250K or no? Not with Drake, no. That's wild. But huh? we'll, we'll elevate the experience. You yeah. know, we'll... we'll you obviously won't be able to go into the green room, but we'll have them walk the red carpet that when you come, you'll be doing, okay. which a normal guest wouldn't necessarily walk gotcha. and kind of be, have that moment with press and stuff like that. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Okay. It's 250K. Another question I got for you is about the networking side, the way you position yourself with even, you know, someone that could afford 250K to Drake. Where do you find the people that can spend 250K on a table? You know, that's, we don't, promote the event super hard, right? We did a press release and it kind of just picks up its own weight. This is my eighth Super Bowl. So it's really just been honestly being a person that has always been doing and producing these events. And my partner, Josh, who couldn't be here, handles more of like the hospitality and the VIP side of things. So all tables flow through, flow through him. Just over the years, honestly, of being at Super Bowl, I've actually never been to the game. I've been, at, I've been, in, <laughs> I've been in the city of the Super Bowl for the last eight years. Never been to the game. I'm a Vikings fan. So once they go, then I'll You'll go. go to the game. Maybe next year. I feel that as a Bills fan. I'm with you. <laughs> Maybe next year as well. Yeah. We'll see you there. Yeah. We'll there. Um, but the history and just us being present over the last eight years at Super Bowl 
has really just kind of made, we, there's a lot of the same people that go to the Super Bowl every single year. So we know those buyers. Plus the HWA group, who is our partner, has an amazing Rolodex of people. Yeah. Um, and we really try to, again, the exclusivity part is kind of why our pricing is so high. We want to make sure that one, we can make back revenue, sure. right? And there's just that level of, of quality of individual that we want to be present at this event. I'm making the assumption if I have a blank check and there's someone I want to do something as far as it relates to like seeing a performance or doing a show or something, I got an open checkbook. Do you feel confident that given the fact that I have an open checkbook, no matter who in the world I want, you could find a way to get them? I want to say yes, but sometimes no. If you look at like Eminem, for example, yep. you could offer Eminem $30 million for something and he might say no because it just might not be something that's interesting to him to do. Hmm. You know, done, been fortunate enough to been around a lot of top, top A-list celebrities, A-list athletes, and a lot of it really comes down to time. Yes, money's a big factor, but again, going back to us creating an experience at these events and at these moments that are unique, high energy, and kind of something that's new to an artist, it's, um, that is what, in my opinion, is a bit more valuable and can separate myself from maybe another entity or another event company that does the does similar work, which kind of helps us get talent for either cheaper than what their normally rate is yeah. or finding an artist that might not normally do an event. Okay, this is a dumb question. This is like, I'm gonna say, it's like the curious Canadian question. Stay tuned to the recap because I know he'll have a million questions, but suppose you do get the checkbook and for the most part, the answer is yes, other than Eminem. And you want like a Lady Gaga or you want a Matthew McConaughey to do an appearance or like you've done a Tom Brady performance or sorry, uh, appearance or Jimmy Fallon. Where like You can't go in the yellow pages. You certainly can't DM them. You can't email them. Where does one start to get a hold of these people? <laughs> Back to these events, I feel that over starting out, I handled the guest list, right? I was the guy. I was the guy that everyone wanted to reach out to, to come to the event. They had to go through me. Whether they knew it or they didn't, they had to go through me. So over the last eight years, I built a network of, in the most humblest way, being the guy at these Super Bowl events so people knew who I was. Yeah, people, they, don't, they need you to get in. Correct. So now you have all who they are in their access. Correct. So say not every event is profitable. Sure. And not, you know, Josh and I started this company back in 2020. Our, the first ever event that we produced, produced where I wasn't working for a different company was the Palm Tree Music Festival with Kygo that was a partner. Oh, yeah. Miles and Austin are partners of ours. We started that event with them. They've then scaled it to international. There's um, an Aspen show this year, Hampton show, and they just announced the Laguna show. It's actually on sale today. But being new business owners, we've had some great successes and some not so great successes, right? From a financial perspective. Sure. Every event that we've done thus far on our own to date, I wouldn't trade it. Whether we made money, lost money, broke even, whatever it might be, I look at these events as yes money makers that you know we have a long-term plan to see great success in this industry but i also use it to meet people yeah you know totally. being able to be the person that's kind of at the helm of these events that a lot of people we have an i have an asset and we have an asset that people want to attend so it kind of creates us helps our brand relationships help our talent relationships and helps our athlete relationships to kind of be that entity that everyone flows to. So when another business venture comes around later in the year, 
say someone in, in Dubai has $20 million, I want them to know that they can come to me or to come to someone that. around me. And I feel that I'm either one degree of separation away from absolutely anyone in this world to get an opportunity <laughs> to them. That's so. wild. So even in, the, in the, even in the events you lose money, you're looking at as the long run investment on that big event is 100% profitable. Yeah, correct. When you look at all the events you've done, from a dollar perspective, what's the worst loss you had? What's the best win you had? Not to call out specific events. Sure, sure. Um, I would say our worst loss, probably over half a million dollars in a project. Damn. Best win, probably a couple million. Gotcha. Yes. At what point do you know if it's going to be a loss or win? Like you're going into an event. We're right now, guys, recording during Super Bowl. This will air certainly after, but what point do you know if it's going to be a profitable or a loss weekend? So before the event, we obviously run numbers, right? Just as in any business would, we run numbers. We have costs that go into the event, you know, venue costs, production costs, talent costs, staffing costs. Depending on the venue, we're actually building a whole second level. So we're doing it at a hangar. We didn't feel the capacity was big enough. So we're actually building a 12 foot high balcony that wraps around the entire stage. Jeez. So it'll be really an amazing experience. Um, see Drake in the center, looking up at people, looking around at people, probably have 2,000, 2,500 people in the hangar at one time. So it's going to feel like a really intimate experience, but I'm kind of going back and figuring out, okay, here's how much we need to raise prior to the event before we sell a we don't sell any tickets traditionally yep. at at Super Bowl with this high level talent. We don't yeah. sell tickets. We just invite talent or models, celebrities, athletes, you know, business owners, executives, et cetera, um, to kind of come and, you know, be a part of the event. And then we'll sell a handful of hospitality packages. But going into it, you know, say the event costs four million dollars, I would love to try to be able to bring in, you know, three million dollars in sponsorships before the event even starts and before we even go on sale, then we do $2 million in sales, say, there's our profit. Gotcha. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. So when you look at like future, so we're here, Super Bowl, you look f fast forward a year, people are interested in, in what you guys are doing at Uncommon Entertainment. What's like, what's the next play? Like, how do you know if the next play is going to be getting Tom Brady to show up to a birthday party or it's going to be doing a big, uh, you know, event for, I don't know, Jay-Z? Like, how do you plan for what's next? Yeah, I mean, so basically, you know, last year was really kind of our first full year of being able to like start the year as a company. We have six full-time employees now, all that kind of run different areas of the event, we have mm -hmm. someone that leads sponsorship, someone that leaves like the technical production side, someone that leads artist relations, someone, someone that leads all of our VIP, you know, hospitality side of things, um, someone that leads staffing and literally handling staffing 150 people, you know, all of our waitresses, all of our front of house staff, all of our hosts. It's very big jobs that go into the, these events. Yeah. Um, so being able to this is our first year that we can really kind of plan strategy to see, hey, here are say four to five key events that we want to dabble into. Yeah. Super Bowl, Coachella, Formula One's, Formula One Vegas is going to be huge. Massive. Yeah. Um, so you're going where the money is. The big events where, the, money, where the dollars Yeah. Are. So our, yeah. our business model traditionally, and, and again, I've learned this just from being at different entities over the last few years yeah. since my career started, go where the people are. 
Yeah. So we build these events and experiences around culturally relevant moments where we know that there's going to be an influx of high net worth, wealthy individuals that are going to that specific, specific city, yep. not for our event, but we're going to create an event that they're going to want to go to and they're going to want to pay to go to. That's pretty sweet. I mean, and, and plus the dollars and cents, like you make a million or you make a half million per event, you do five events a year, that's all you need. Correct. Plus you have, you know, other ventures that could lead. That could you come know, up to something. Correct. Can you, in that whole deal with Syracuse University, are you allowed to disclose like what they were paid or no? Like you want Tom Brady to go to the basketball game. What do you got to pay? Tom is um, amazing. <laughs> Tom, Tom is a, Tom is amazing the way that he can control situations. It's obviously amazing. on the field and off on the field, on, <laughs> on, on the field and off. I can't talk numbers, okay. but you know, a lot of it also is around charity. We do a lot of charity work, Got it. you know, Syracuse obviously has been known for, you know, getting some great talent. Ding, ding, ding. And honestly, again, it kind of comes down to relationships, you know, having good relationships with individuals and or other entities that can help get talent there. Jimmy didn't even, honestly, Jimmy, the way that whole, that whole deal, deal came together, um, we were working on a bigger deal that Tom was a part of. And um, we were trying to find another, it was, it was initially Tom and Julian. Okay, and which then, makes sense. Teammates, yep. Patriots, Julian Edelman, Tom Brady. Okay, how do you Jimmy failing get into this? So, you know, we were trying to figure out another talent to come. We we're brainstorming tons of different ideas. Who would be really good in that setting? And, you know, we wanted to make sure that whoever it was that was there, you know, Tom felt comfortable with as well. Yeah. So we were thinking of local talent because it was literally like the day before the event. Okay. Forgot who they were playing that day. But all of a sudden Jimmy's name came up. He was in the Hamptons. He literally took a helicopter. We literally got him helicopter from his house to Teterboro onto the plane to the game. They went to the game. Jimmy was conduct conducting the band. He went on the court. <laughs> He was amazing. Um, and he not had actually like alleviated a little bit of like pressure from Tom or Julian to do anything crazy there too. He, was he there, just yeah. was great. And uh, this was actually before Tom, he was a free agent. This was right when he left the Patriots. So no one knew he was going to do. We were sitting on the plane. I was trying to listen as best of I course, could, but yeah. no one, you know, he didn't say anything. He, it was super casual. It was, it was a really great experience for me, but Jimmy was great. I think Jimmy, the only reason Jimmy really wanted to go honestly was just to hang with Tom and Julian. Um, that's wild. So who, when you, the biggest question I would get when this scenario comes up is who pays for that? Like who is Syracuse pay for that? Who's paying for this? There are entities that, um, help kind of fund those experiences. Okay. Um, and they do it for a big PR splash for the university, for the campus, things like that. Yeah. You know, it's, um, not a lot of other schools do it. So it's overall, it's a, you know, a mix between a marketing play, a relationship starter. Um, it's really great from a press perspective from the school. Yep. Honestly, the players love it as well. Okay, Jalen Hurts was just there. I didn't do that deal, but um, Jalen Hurts was just there. So overall, you know, the people there are really great. And honestly, it's shown they're amazing, amazing supporters of just the school and the area and no other school does it. So it's obviously, you know, 
I didn't go to Syracuse, but um, it shows that they obviously have a nice, nice they got support the right system. People in their corner. They have a nice support least. system. All right, let's. We got to get your trading secret. Something that someone couldn't learn in a textbook or a classroom. Only from you. Before we do, just in case this isn't your trading secret, I need to know it. Uh, a guy that's 29 years old that I see everywhere knows everyone. Rob G comes in to do the interview. Rob walks out. He knows you. Literally everyone fucking knows you. Number one networking tip. You're 29 years old. How are you one degree separation from everyone? And what advice would you give to someone who's not great at networking? You know, it's a great question. I think for me and something I've just really just grew up learning, one confidence I think is a really big thing. And I think a lot of people do it better than me, but being confident in any certain situation to talk to absolutely anyone. I like that. that that's the first thing. And doing good business. Yeah. Something I've learned and, you know, no one's perfect, but being a good person, doing good business in the industry will help relationships scale and grow, right? So someone might not know that I'm the guy, but hopefully I made a good impression on you. Sure. So, hey, an opportunity comes around where there's a brand that wants to produce, an, that wants to throw an event. Hopefully I'm the guy that you now reach out to, right? Yeah. And now we do business together. Right on. Um, so I really think it's just, being humble, staying true to yourself, being a good person, uh, and being confident in what you do, knowing that you are an expert in your craft and you're going to do the best possible job that you can on a respective event, then the relationships will be maintained and then scale. I love it. I think it's like really good high level advice that everyone could take no matter what job or place you live in. And then I think even like one of the things as you were talking, I was thinking more about too, like the drill down is you also created a system in which the people of like the highest wealth and biggest networks need you for a certain service or whatever it may be. And when you do that, that also accelerates your networking and who you're working with and how you're working with them. It reminds me of, I'm thinking about ChatGPT, right? So ChatGPT, they have all this technology to do all these things. So they create this, but what happens? There becomes issues and problems in colleges and kids that are like writing their essays through ChatGPT. So what do they do? They create the solution that can detect what came from ChatGPT. So they create a situation in which you do need them and it increases their business. It reminds me a little bit on a different level of kind of like how you've also built your network. It's really cool. All right, let's end with this. Trading secret, how you got to where you are. We know where you started. We know where you are today, the people that you're working with and how you're working with them. But what is one trading secret about career navigation, financial management, life navigation that people can only get from you, Jake, that they couldn't get anywhere else? Yeah, so it might sound corny, but... One, I think being able to not be afraid to take risks in life, yep. to fail is something that I failed, you know, multiple times in life. I've also learned a lot from those failures. So being able to make sure that you are okay failing by taking a risk will in the long run, ultimately, I think, you know, help people see success. And the second thing Again, just like on a football team, like you are a team. I am nowhere personally without my business partner, without the team that I'm surrounded by. Mm -hmm. While I'm sitting here, my team is grinding away at our venue, you know, laying down carpet, putting together couches, working on advances with our talent team. You're you're only as good as the people that that you're surround yourself with. And that is something that, you know, I don't think I'd be in this position without failure, without you know, good people around me and a good support system. 
Take on risks. Don't be afraid of failure. Choose your partners wisely because you will rely on them. And then I'm even going to add one more to it. I think it's a big trading secret. The fact that you are willing to work for free at uh, Talent Resources shows a lot about the fact that you weren't afraid to fail, but you were also willing to take on risk at any expense because you wanted to learn. And too many people now go knock on someone's door and want something without providing value. You were willing to see that there was value in what you were learning. And look where you are these years later putting on shows for Drake, Justin Bieber, and the alike. Yeah, you know, it's um, it's been a pretty amazing journey. And like I said earlier, I have, there's a handful of entities that do what we do right now, right? This is our third, second full year putting together an event, my partner and I in partnership with Hwood Group um, at Super Bowl. But I know all the other entities that are producing these events. And I've actually kind of been a part of every single one in, in one way or another. So, you know, I've learned a lot of good things, a lot of bad things from those entities. And it's kind of helped put us in a position that I think helps us stand out compared to the other players in the space. And fortunately, Super Bowl, there's so much to go around. Um, I hope that every other event out there is super successful. And I think that they will be. But for us, we want to be the best. And I think our event will be the best. And uh, I'm really proud of, of kind of where I started and where we are now. It's really cool. And to put things in perspective for people that don't know, Super Bowl week, it's full of A-list celebrities. There's usually an event around every A-list group or celebrity. There's over, you know, 300 events. And I would agree. This Drake event is by far the one that's most talked about. It's the headline one. It's the one you're running. I'm not saying that to pump your tires. It's the truth out there. Appreciate There's a lot that. to be said for that doing it at 29 is pretty, pretty damn cool. If people want to potentially work for you, ask you questions, network with you, Jake, where can they find you? Instagram, LinkedIn. LinkedIn's an amazing source. What's your handle? Uh, just Jake Nussbaum. Okay. Super simple. You know, I, I actually think I need to do a better job of social, yeah. um, but it's a, social media is an amazing tool. I'm a Back in college, I was always the one that was literally just outreaching to every single alumni that was at UMass. That was literally what I did. And now I'm a lot more busy, but I always try to make time for people that do reach out to, that are aggressive in terms of their outreach. But yeah, LinkedIn and Instagram are, are probably best for me to, to kind of attack. All right, we are ringing in the bell this episode with the one and only Blake Horseman. He is a familiar face with Trading Secrets. You guys know all about him. So we're going to do a quick catch up. Blake, it is so darn good to see you. How is your 2023 going so far? It's great so far, honestly, man. I mean, this time of year is like such a moment to reset for me. Like I, I've been DJ, you know, DJing is really slow right now in January. Everybody's on their health kick and stuff like that. So I've been home for quite a while, which has been amazing. It's been so incredible. So I'm taking advantage of it as much as possible. So it's been great. I love that. Well, it is 2023. You did talk about kind of everyone on their health kick. How about for you? Last time we had you on the show, you had some financial goals. You had some professional goals. For 2023, do you have specific goal you're trying to achieve, whether it's financially or professionally? Yeah. So it's funny because I found my like 20, 10, my 10, like, you know, resolutions, whatever, 2023. <laughs> Unfortunately, I only hit like five of them or four of them or something like that. But, um, but I had some of the big ones that I was really going for. Um, I'm going to do something a little bit different financially this year, actually, I decided because it seems like, at least for me anyway, it's like more money I make, 
more money I spend. Like that's, I don't know how I do it, but somehow <laughs> I end up like with just the same amount in savings that I had like four years ago, you know? So I decided this year, I'm going to do something a little bit different. I, I decided I'm going to try and base my, I guess my financial like success off this year off of what I have in my savings at the end of the year. So but rather than based off my gross income or whatever it is, I'm going to base it off my savings. So, you know, I'm hoping to actually have in savings at the end of the year, like between 150 to 200,000 just in saving. Like that's my goal. Like I don't care how much I make. If I only make 300,000, then I'm saving, you know, a hell of a lot, you know, but if I make, you know, however much it is. So I switched it up a little bit this year as far as my financial goals. And then my health goals, I decided to switch it up too. I'm doing uh, monthly resolutions instead of like yearly resolutions. I'm doing these monthly resolutions. So in January, I decided I was going to do 100 push ups, 25 pull ups. 40 bar curls and 200 uh, sit-ups every day this month. And I've actually done it. Like I've actually like sat down and I've done it. Like I've, I've gone upstairs, I have a gym upstairs and I've done it. And even on the road, like I found like balconies to do pull-ups on things like that. And it's been great. It's like something like I've, you know, it's like, I, I felt, I felt responsible. I helped the responsibility to do it. And I can see a difference. Like my strength's gone up, um, my definition, things like that. So I think I'm going to do that throughout the year. I'm just going to do, man, I think I was thinking next year I might do like stretching and yoga in the morning or stretching and meditation in the morning. Uh, just something every month rather than a, lo- a year long resolution. So I like the discipline aspect. There is something about like kind of forcing yourself to do something every day that requires a certain amount of discipline that then creates a habit, right? Like we even know in the book, Atomic Habits, he says you have to do something 66 days to really actually be in the habit. So I think that's amazing. David, I'm going to go to you uh, for your theme of the year and a goal, but I do want to get back to you, Blake. I love what you're saying about the net cash flow. Like I remember when you were on the podcast last time, you said financially your goal was to break into seven figures for 2022. But mm-hmm. if you do break into seven figures of gross income, what the hell does it matter if you spend 950000 of it or 980000 of it or whatever it might be, the number, it's all about what your net cash flow is at the end of the day. That's what increases your overall net worth unless you're using that money to buy an asset. For 2022, financially, professionally, following up, did you accomplish some of those goals, even though they're much different looking in 2023? Yeah. So I didn't hit the seven figures like I was hoping. And it was funny because going into the, the year, I was like, worried that I wouldn't make that like the amount I needed DJing, but it turned out like I had a better year than I could have imagined DJing. And it was actually the social media side of things that didn't quite hit the goal I thought I was going to hit. Um, and I don't know why, what that is, but then this year I'm off to a hot start social media wise, uh, compared to last year. So it's just kind of interesting. You never know. And I think that's why it's so important to have like so many, you know, multiple streams of income. Um, cause you never know when one might take a little dip or whatnot. So, um, so yeah, I didn't quite hit the goal I had last year, but, uh, and like I said, I, I decided to switch it up, especially with the amount I travel. I, I now DJs don't have much overhead. Don't get me wrong, but the travel, the hotels, the food on the road, um, some of the equipment I bought, it does seem like I can, you know, I'll go on the, and I'll get paid to go on these, you know, play these sets and then I'll come home and I'm like, fuck, I really only came home with like 2000, you know, 3000, 4,000 bucks. I'm like, fuck, what did I do? I was in, you know, on the road. So I'm trying to be more mindful this year when I'm on the road to not spend as much money. It's kind of yeah, my goal. I, I love that. It's amazing. It makes perfect sense. It's also bringing me back to something I thought 2022 was so focused on numbers. In 2023, I'm actually getting less focused on numbers and more focused on intention. Like if that number decreases a little bit from my prior 2022, whether it's net cash flow, how much I make, whatever, who cares if like the intention of what I'm doing is the right thing? If it's aligned with the brand, aligned with the impact, aligned with the happiness. So I love it. Thank you for sharing that. We do have the Curious Canadian. It is such a pleasure pleasure to have him here. The one, the only David Arduin. David, give us your theme and your goal for 2023. 
Still gassing me up 90 episodes in. I love it. Curious Canadian. I'm calling you that from now on, David. <laughs> Curious Canadian, baby. If you know me, my goal is not going to be financial-based because that's just not, not where I live. That's not my lane. Uh, my, my theme and my word is uh, attentive. I want to be more attentive to the needs of those around me. For those of you who know or don't know, I'll be having my first uh, child, a baby boy, in May. So for me, it's kind of a two-part goal. Goal one is the needs of my partner, most importantly from January to May. The more I can establish and prioritize the needs and be attentive of her needs, the better off I'll be in the practice of uh, being attentive to the needs of, of my future child. I think bringing a child into this universe is way scarier than any financial goals or obligations or you know sacrifices I think that I have ever made in my life. So for me, that's the priority. I think if I get that, it'll just blend into other parts of my life. I'll be more attentive to my family. I'll be more attentive to my friends. And then I'll be more attentive to my, my career as well. So attentive is just the, the word of the theme of the, of the year for me. So I love it. Short goals for Blake, attentive for David, and then intentional for myself. Those are awesome goals. Blake, I want to get... Uh, Blake, you're just a quick update on the professional life of Blake. Like 2023, you've hit your stride. We know you're a DJ. We know you're getting booked at big events. You were just at Stagecoach. We talked about what your rate was per, uh, or what your desired rate was per set last year. What is something different we can expect in 2023 now that momentum's at your back with your entire DJ career? Yeah, so I have some really fun sets coming up. So I am also one half of Roadhouse, which is a DJ duo with my buddy, DJ Silver. He's been in the industry for a long time. He's a very well-known DJ. You know, he, he actually has a residency in Zook. What uh, is, explain that. Cause some of my, I'm, I'm part of yeah. Roadhouse. I'm one of two. Explain what Roadhouse means. So um, Roadhouse is basically a DJ duo. So think of the chain smokers, loud luxury, yeah. cash, cash, those kinds of guys. So there's two of us. Um, and even when I went into this, I didn't exactly know what that what that anticipated, like what to anticipate when doing that. But when we're up there on the controller on the decks, it's fun because you don't know what your partner's gonna play. And then he'll play something, you have to feed off of that and play off of that. You don't know the beats per minute, you don't know the key it's in. So it's challenging, but it makes for a really fun set and a really fun environment and a lot of energy in the room because not only somebody working hard on the decks but i can get on the mic i can run around i can pour the shots he's doing the same then i can jump behind the deck so it's a really it's something i never thought i would do but it's really fun to be a part of a dj duo and it's just it makes kind of life easier to you know you know in general look at a zoom like when you have a lot of people to bump ideas off to bump conversations off it's the same way behind the decks with music like when you see him play something like damn that was really good i bet i can play this leading into this so it's really fun it's challenging but it's really fun um and we got some big things coming up we're playing some of the biggest clubs in Vegas. We got two sets at Zook World at, or at Zook at Resorts World Vegas, playing the IU Day Club, the biggest day club in Vegas, Memorial Day weekend, which is going to be absolutely insane. Um, and then the biggest news, pretty really excited about actually, I have, um, we have our first single dropping on March 3rd. So 3-3, we have our first single dropping called only you and you're gonna you're gonna see me kind of feed into it on my socials and everything uh but really excited about it um it's actually a song that was written by elenium uh i don't know if you guys know who elenium is but he's the biggest dj on the planet right now he put it this way this man makes we looked it up we asked his manager this man makes three hundred sixty thousand dollars for an hour set it's jesus crazy man it's crazy so wow. he's the biggest dj yeah it's insane man he got a residency at um at Zook. no he's not at zook I can maybe it's the Omnia in Vegas. I can't remember now, but yeah, it was like for one year, man, it was like, 
Yeah, it was a lot. It was like six, seven million for one year. And he only and goes, this this guy wrote the single you're dropping. So this guy wrote the song. Um, and, you know, this happens a lot in, in you know, not just the DJ world, but every freaking genre. They, they'll write a song and they'll be like, you know, I, I just don't feel good about it. They'll put it on the back burner and then they'll put it up for sale. So we bought the song and then obviously, can you share how much you pay for something like that? So, yeah, it wasn't much, actually, man. So we roughly paid about 15K. Now, that seems like a lot. But, I think that's a lot for yeah, like a I mean, backdoor a song. It seems like yeah. write a couple fucking words. 15 yeah, I know, I know. I know. Yeah, this man yeah, probably wrote this in his freaking garage. You know what I mean? He actually lives just a few doors down from me here in Denver. It's kind of crazy. So yeah, so 15K, it seems like a lot, but you know, just having his name attached to it is a big deal. Um, so that alone, you know, you're not just paying for the song, you're paying for the, the rights, you know, kind of of his name, if you will. So we bought the song, we remixed it, we made it our own. Um, that's releasing on March 3rd. So we're pretty excited about that. Hopefully it uh, pushes us kind of where we want, you know, it takes, I always say it just takes one, one song. It just takes one song um, to really blow you up and put you on, you know, on the mainstream. So fingers crossed for that. That's gonna be a big moment for, for my DJ career. So. Blake, that's huge. I can't wait for when that comes out. When it does come out, let us know. We'll share it everywhere we can. And that will be uh, the biggest bop that will be on my workout playlist. That's for (laughs) sure. So congratulations. Uh, Guys here that are with us at Trading Secrets. I say guys, but everyone that's here, it's just a New York thing. Blake, I got to ask you, Trading Secrets, you just gave me a number. That should suffice. But do you have any type of number-related component you could talk to me about since you've last been on the show, maybe the best deal you did, worst deal you did, your your goal of like how much you actually want that net amount to be after your spending. Do you have any type of number related goal looking into 2023 as it relates to your finances or your professional world? So actually, I did want to kind of discuss with you about this anyway, but I actually got my first big equity play this year. I'm really, really excited about that. Something I've been wanting to do for a long time with this career. You know, I did the whole teeth whitening and fucking weighted blankets. I did all that. Now I'm like, okay, I want to believe in brands I believe in and I want to work with them long-term and I want to bring you know more to the table than just a few stories here or there. So uh, me and G did a did a really awesome equity deal with Rowdy Energy, who I've actually been working with for two years. So it's my third year working with them. And I just love the company and what they stand for and their people. And so, yeah, so I got my first big equity play and it was big for me because I had never really had an equity play. And, and Rowdy, excuse me, Rowdy is... A, a kind of a newer, it's like five, six years in uh, company, but it's headed in the right direction. And I feel really good about the equity play. So hopefully three, four years down the road, you know, it goes public or it gets bought. Um, and then I'm sitting on, you know, maybe 20 X my, you know, 20 to 15 to 20 X my, uh, my equity, if you will. So pretty good excited about you. that. 2023. That is, that is so exciting. And we've talked about it on this show, like even a Logan Paul, how much money he's made with the boxing and with the endorsements. It's significant. Where his real wealth is, is Prime Energy Drink. The amount of value that's created from the equity he owns in Prime Energy or Prime Hydration Drink will create billionaire status for him upon their exit. So yeah, congratulations, Rowdy Energy is great drink. It's a great product. I know Camille's associated with them. I know the founders, right? We know Haley's associated with them. Uh, David Ortiz is behind it. Like that's really incredible. Congratulations. David, do you have any follow-up or last minute questions for Blake? No, I just hope he's got uh, a percentage of his new savings goal. Uh, he's got a, a nice little engagement ring uh, plan in there for, you know, <laughs> gotta take gotta take care of the girls you know do what you did there yeah, yeah. you put a little stash away for that don't you <laughs> good, hey, good. Hey Blake, when you start looking let me know i, I went yeah. through the whole process i you know, know exactly yeah, yeah. what to do he's i got, got a guy you. i got, got a guy i got a guy too <laughs> i got a guy he's got a guy we'll get g a ring congratulations on all on all your happiness blake thank you so much for your time thank you guys
Ding, ding, ding. That is the worst ding, ding, ding I've ever had. You could tell by my voice. And uh, almost 100 episodes is the first time I have not been feeling so well. I don't know. Just woke up. The throat is a little shot. Not sure what it's from. Probably Super Bowl. And what a great way to close the bell. I have David Ardoin here, and we have a jam-packed episode, right? We have Jake, who put on the most exclusive, the biggest, the wildest event of all Super Bowl, headlining Drake. And we're going to talk behind the scenes about all things Drake and the Super Bowl. And then we had to bring Blake Horseman back for a part two, just to hear where he is today versus where he was last time we had him on the show. So this was an episode all about relevance with the Super Bowl, behind the scenes, and a follow-up with one of our favorite guests from Trading Secrets, Blake. If you guys haven't, before we get into this recap, hit that subscribe button. It helps us out big time. And if you haven't, give us five stars in the reviews and let us know what you think, what topics we need to cover, and who we need to have on. We read everyone. And throw your Instagram at symbol there. We'd love to see your Instagram handle and give you a shout out. Curious Canadian, what'd you think? Well, I thought it was great. It definitely is a Super Bowl hangover uh, voice if I've ever heard one from you, Jay. So um, I'm glad that you're back. I'm glad that you survived. You know, Jake was a classic Trading Secrets guest who I've never heard of, who I will say, and I texted you this when I was listening to it, probably the most captivated I've been for an interview 90 seconds into listening than I've ever had before. Um, I just think it's such an intriguing you know, career industry and story, 29-year-old, eighth Super Bowl, crazy. But before I get into Jake, I just got to put it out there. You want to talk about, talk about something else I was captivated 90 seconds in? Rihanna, bad girl Riri, <laughs> first performance since 2018. I was just, uh, uh, you know, so into and blown away. And anyone who, who wants to critique her performance, Riri's killing it. She's pregnant. She, she's shaking it. She's singing. She's 200 feet in the air. Uh What's your take on what's your take on that? Uh, you saw it live. How was it? I mean, I thought it was unbelievable. The girls are just she's just an absolute queen. I think performance was ten out of ten. I think the art of it was ten out of ten. That the fact she did it all uh, completely, completely pregnant is just amazing. And I heard I got I, I'm going to fact check this as we talk because I didn't know this question was coming, but I did hear that every one of those dancers was a female. And I think every one of them was an actual mother. But I thought that performance was crazy. I know the Curious Canadian had to be curious, though, about all things halftime performance. So oh, when yeah. you were watching oh, it, yeah. like, what was going through your head? Well, the first thing I think as my jo- I picked my job off the floor when it ended was uh, I think I texted you and Evan immediately and said, how much do you think that re- they had to shell out to get Rihanna to perform for the first time since 2018? And I got to admit, it gave me a little bit of Beyonce vibes here. Uh, I mean, look at Jason Tardick just flying to Dubai, seeing Beyonce for the first time in four years. Now he's at the Super Bowl in Arizona, seeing Rihanna for the first time in five years. Guys just clicking off the exclusivity check marks in the old uh, concert goer scene. So what can you tell me about that, Jason? He- Yeah, I mean, so I think I read an article. It was actually the first time in six years she performed. My brother, who, of course, was with me in Dubai, was like, literally, 2023 is your diva year. You're just going (laughs) to all these huge shows. It's unbelievable. He's laughing about it. It's crazy, though. Um, Just in Super Bowl in general, let's talk numbers here, right? This was the third most watched Super Bowl 
of all yep. time, of all time. So you might ask yourself, if this is three, what were the two Super Bowls before that? Well, the largest Super Bowl watched ever was, I got to have to actually look this up, was the New England Patriots game, 2015. The Patriots versus Seahawks holds the NBC record at 114, 442 million viewers. That doesn't include streaming. Then the second best, most watched Super Bowls in 2017. That was when uh, New England came back and beat Atlanta. That was 113, 668 million. And this was the third ranked at 113 million. Now, to answer your question, People are blown away by this. Rihanna, you talk about Beyonce, she was paid $34 million. Rihanna was paid $0. So what they do is the NFL just knows the value of all those people watching. I mean, companies are paying $7 million for 30 seconds. Think about the value of her performing that. And they did some analytics behind it too. You guys will find this like super interesting. When Shakira and Jennifer Lopez did the halftime show, they weren't paid. But their streams, because of that performance, for Shakira went up 230%. Jennifer Lopez went up 335%. In 2018, when Justin Timberlake did his halftime show, his sales increased by 534%. So these are crazy numbers. And then I'll, I'll take a pause after this, David. Take a shot in the dark. Uh, at how much that J-Lo and Shakira performance costs from a production standpoint. I'm going to say not that much. I'm going to say less than a million dollars. Jennifer Lopez and Shakira 2020, 13 million. 2017 with Lady Gaga, 10 million. 2013 with Beyonce, 600,000. 2007 with Prince, 12 million. 2001 Aerosmith and NSYNC, 11 million. So other than Beyonce there, which is a shocker because she is like the absolute, you know, the dream of performances. They're spending big, 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 wow. big bucks behind those performances. Yeah, Beyonce was crushing it on the field with heels on too during her performance. So that's probably why her production was so low. Uh, Rihanna was- <laughs> You remember Rihanna's that, eh? Oh, yeah, come on. Big Super Bowl <laughs> halftime guy. Uh, I, I actually surprised did it. it wasn't, let me just say this, though. We talk about PR stunts and the value of them. And I, when I see Justin Timberlake sales were up, you know, all 500% 2018, I'm surprised there wasn't because there was a lot of talk and conspiracies about potential features and who would be on and things mm -hmm. like that. And no one was. No guests, no stunts, no nothing. Just a sick performance. Yeah, when Jay-Z didn't come out for Run This Town and Umbrella, I was shocked, to be honest. But, <laughs> you know, here I am, trading secrets, episode 91, thinking I got all the behind the scenes, that I'm just, you know, in the know for what people are getting paid, and I know all this, and here Rihanna is just, you know, $0, trucking out there, going to have 500% sales for her new album. Uh, good for her. She crushed it. So... Uh, one person who definitely didn't make $0 for their performance Super Bowl weekend was Drake. And yep. that's where our boy Jake comes in. So a couple things that I want to throw out there. First off, I just need to put out what I was feeling and what some of our listeners may have been feeling at home during Super Bowl week. And that is going on Instagram and TikTok and seemingly feeling like every person on my feed was at the Drake concert. And there was only... 2,000, he said, to 2,500 people in that hangar. And 
to know that you were there, to know that some of my other friends were there, to know that other Instagram influencers that I follow were there. I just want to know this. If he's paying Drake 500000 which he said was the high end of what he pays his talent, which I'm sure was what Drake got, and I know he's selling tables for 250000 which we can talk about that if you want because it's ridiculous, but are you paying for tickets for that? Are you getting comp tickets? I'm assuming every influencer that's on my page is getting comp tickets. Can you just put a little behind the scenes, I was there, this is how much I paid, this is what I was like, insight, because I just feel like Drake playing in front of 2,000 people I want to know how you make a profit and how all those people actually get in the door. Yeah, I mean, my understanding, David, is there are no GA tickets. You can't just buy a general admission ticket to this event. You have to have a table. Hey, Evan, you're with us here. Evan, you guys know, is our production uh, manager. Uh, Evan, you might know this. Come off mute real quick. There were no GA tickets, right? Correct. There was no such thing as a GA ticket. So the only way to get in was a table? Correct. Wow. Okay. Thanks. Evan always is here for the information. So the way that we got in tables, as you know, 250K, ridiculous. But what they'll do is they'll invite people, right? Like Dak Prescott was there. Derek Henry was there. Gabriel Davis from the Buffalo Bills was there. There was just a ton of different NFL players there. They're invited. Okay. Now, we reached out to Jay because we know Jay two weeks in advance. And Jay kind of like laughed at us. He's like, dude, you're trying to get into this event. By the way, guys, two weeks in advance. And he's like, I've had this thing sold out for like months. You know, like we've had our VIP and media things take, like given away months. Like there's no way. We Like I'm sorry. So we're like, all right, we've made a deal. What would it take? How do we get to, we, you know, and by the way, it wasn't just Evan and I, right, who run an agency and obviously have some sort of, you know, you, you guys back at home can, you know, level up if we have connections or whatever. But we got some type of influence, right, between the two of us. We also have four buddies from Rochester who have zero. <laughs> so we now we have six guys trying to get into this. So he made a deal with us. He said, I'll give you and all your boys six VIP tickets if you have me on the podcast. Wow. Uh -oh. Okay, fucking deal. If I could see Drake live in front of 2,000 people, you got it. Well, first of all, he comes on and he was great. I mean, it was a great episode. I think the best part you said, David, the guy's got less followers than you. And for Crazy. anyone back home, wake up. Wake up. He wasn't born into a family. He doesn't have these big celebrity connections because his dad or mom was an agent. His dad or mom isn't the CEO of Warner Brothers. He is just a fucking grinder who has an idea. And now he is putting on the big, that was working for free for fuck's sakes. And now he's putting on the biggest shows with the biggest celebrities there that nobody can get into. Okay. So we got those tickets. Now our dumbasses were all over the place because Evan and I were just hustling. That's why I'm like literally sick. It sounds like hungover. I didn't actually drink that much. We were going from 7 a.m. to 1 a.m., shaking hands, event, networking, agency, clients, uh, brand deals for me nonstop. We get there with the boys at 1230. When we get there and we had word as we were on our way that the event was completely locked out, it doesn't matter if you had already bought a table, you couldn't get into this event. Now, I also want to give you perspective, money perspective, David. We found out about three hours before that we had a connect who was willing to buy a table for $100,000. Wow. We called our boy, Jake, who came on. He declined it. Couldn't take it. Sold out. Think about that. Yeah. He is declining 
$1,000 fucking bottle table. But anyway, we get there, David. It is a pure zoo. I mean, hundreds and hundreds of people trying to get it. Dak Prescott could not get in at this time. Oh. The reason why Cam Jordan was out there, they eventually all got in. No one could get in because the fire marshal was there mm. because they were over capacity for this spot. So Evan and I with the boys are sitting there trying so hard, like literally, like where there's like these gates, like we're in a jail cell. We're calling Jake, Jake, dude, we literally planned our week around this. He's like, I'll be there. I'll be there. Like, I'll find a way. I'm talking hundreds of people. His partner comes out. Evan screaming his partner, Stephanie, Stephanie, come let us in. Come let us in. She's like, I can't let anyone in. Hundreds and hundreds of people. And the wild thing is like Hawk was having a blast with this. He's looking at the hundreds of people. He's like, the like net worth and influence of these people out here that literally can't get into this event is mind blowing. Anyway, Jake saved the day. And of these hundreds of people, you know, trying to get in, Jake was able to like sneak us through the back, got all six of us in. So wow. it's a little bit about how we got there, uh, who was there. And it was it was the coolest thing to see this event live in person and to see Drake perform. And the funniest thing, last thing, I'm going to take a break. Drake was, he, he was so funny because the crowd's so different. He was like pointing people out. He's like, man, what the fuck? Did you just come from work? Because people are like dressed like, like, it's probably not his typical audience, you know? And he goes, you know what? Man, I don't give a fuck if it looks like you just came from work. I don't give a fuck if you're smoking weed and you've been with me forever. Or I don't give a fuck if you're some rich motherfucking tech guy who just sold a company. <laughs> We're here as one tonight. Let's party. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That was a kind of exhilarating little story you laid out there. Um, I was, I feel like I was like, you know, reading it, uh, listening to an ebook, like a thriller. Uh, I'm used to being, you know, that that friend from Rochester in the background with absolutely no worth to give the people that are trying to get us into these events. So uh, I know that feeling. Um, so funny that the leverage to get in the probably the most exclusive event, more exclusive than the Super Bowl game itself, was the podcast. Um, 100%. The fact that he. Crazy, right? Like just yeah, and crazy. Like, we met with his roommate and like a couple of his other business people were there and they were all like so pumped about it. They were like yeah. so pumped about it. And he killed, I thought he was great on the podcast. And dude, did you yeah. see this guy like when we were there? It's like, dude, you're putting on this whole thing. I don't know, man. It was crazy. crazy. And crazy. Dude, also, quick side note, and I know our recap's running long here. The fucking size of these NFL players oh. is the most annoying thing in the planet. They are so, it's like, how are we the same like human like speed yeah dude it's insane one quick deck prescott story you guys know evan evan's here runs the agency mm -hmm. with me producer of the show and evan is a massive dallas cowboys fan so i see him looking at deck prescott and he is geeking out now i know appropriate times when it is appropriate and inappropriate to ask for a picture because i've just i've seen the world right a little bit obviously nowhere near his level but i waited to the perfect time no one's around he's by himself he's not bombarded no one's bombarding these events because there's only 2,000 people and then there's so many people there that are like big time uh, other than Evan and I. So I, I say, Evan, I'm going to get a picture. He's like, don't do it. And everyone's like nervous. I'm like, I'm going. I'm going to get a picture for you. So I go to deck. I'm a big fan and my my good, good buddy here literally adores you. Like I was pumping his stuff. I'm like, can we just one yeah. quick photo? We'll be out of here. No flash. He gives me this. He literally gives me a hand like he's flotting a fucking fly. Like get out of here. He said, like, give me a minute and like flotted me and swatted me. So <laughs> fine, you're going to fucking swat me? Now I'm pissed off. So you said, give me a minute. What did I do? Took three steps away, gave him his personal space, 
I counted it down for exactly a minute, went back over. Deck, you said, give me a minute. I gave you a minute. One quick photo. We're both huge, huge fans of you. It's like, all right, all right. We take the photo. We have it forever. And he smiled. We'll take that. Yeah, he did. It looked like he was happy in it. So, well, that's great. Just to wrap up, Jake. Uh, Jake, if you're listening, which I hope you are, good Canadian boy. You've had Drake, a good Canadian boy. Justin Bieber, a good Canadian boy. Love that you're on the podcast. Next time I'm with Jay, I'm coming down. I won't be one of his worthless friends from Rochester. I'll be a member of the podcast and I'm getting in the next concert that you're putting on. So uh, Super Bowl 2024. We'll be there. Let's go. Exactly. In Vegas, they just unveiled a huge, big countdown football. So one thing I got to say about Jake before we move on to Blake, Jake and Blake love how that rhymes. I just, whenever people point out the simplicity of, you know, being a good person, there were two quotes he had at UMass Amherst. I didn't learn much, but I learned how to be a good person. And then in his trading secret, he also meant uh, he also mentioned in his networking tip: be a good person and do good business. I don't think Jay, you and I can really mention that stuff enough because I think it's just the core and everything that requires to to really start from start from nothing and tr- truly like twenty seven hundred Instagram followers. This guy has. I think my phone's still in caps lock when I. F- when I realized that and texted you and Evan that he only has 2,700 Instagram followers and he's putting on multi-million dollar uh, events with the biggest celebrities in the world and artists in the world. So I thought the Jake interview was absolutely incredible. Yeah, it was amazing. And I do love that. I love when we get people that have achieved amazing things that come on and their advice is very foundational, right? Like be a good person. It's very foundational. But I do think once you have that foundation is in place, all the other things really come together. And I think that was his point. So great episode, Jake. Thank you for having us. We'll be back in 2024. And if it takes you coming on again, so be it. We so be will it. Do it. What else you got, David? Quickly pivoting to Blake here. I know we're running out of time. Uh, always great to have Blake on. One of our favorite guests, as you mentioned. He's crushing it. Him and G are great. Um, but there's one financial thing that he said that I want get, want to get your take on because I was wondering if this kind of fact that he puts out makes your skin crawl. So... He said that in 2023, he's switching up his goal for this year. Last year, it was an income goal. He wanted to hit seven figures. He said he was just shy of that. But this year, he said because because of last year, he didn't save any money. So his measuring bar for success in 2023 is savings. My question to you, Jason, when you hear people say that, does that make your skin crawl? Because I feel like you're an investing guy. You, If he's able to save $300,000 in your head, that $300,000 should turn into $340,000 and if, it, if it's invested the right way. What's your take on on Blake's uh, goal strategy and, and do you is something that you can get on board with? Make my skin crawl. Hell no. It makes me so fired up for Blake. I think it's brilliant. And anyone back there at home needs to focus on this because if all you care about is the money coming in and you're not focused on that money coming out, it doesn't fucking mean a thing. We just had Rob Gronkowski on last podcast. We've seen how many NFL players go broke after retirement. The number is astronomical. All that matters truly is that cash position at the end of your inflow and outflow. What is your inflow? Cash coming in. That's where you're generating revenue. Your outflow, where you're spending money. The crux of it, the pure gold in the equation is the difference between the two. If you make a million and you spend 900K, you only got 100. You make a million, you only spend 100K, you have 900K. His point wasn't, I'm going to keep it in savings. His point was, I'm going to make sure that uh, I am focused on what the net is. And based on that net, 
I can invest it. It's a brilliant tactic. And I don't care if you make 20K or you make 20 million. That is something that everyone should be thinking about. What's the number after the cash flow? I just think Jason's going to support any one of his friends, any one of his clients, any one of his coworkers when they're talking money goals. 2023, it's been, I think for Jason, the most electric year possible. I mean, we're, we're, we're going to Dubai. We're seeing Beyonce. We're going to the Super Bowl. We're seeing Rihanna. We're networking through the, via the podcast. We're getting Jake on. Uh, we're, we're learning. We're getting educated. And at the end of the day, we're building, uh, you know, Jay's doing a really amazing job, Jay, of building your sphere of influence, um, your networking. And, you know, it's fun for me to be a part of the pod knowing that, uh, you know, you're doing such great things with it out in, you know, the most really like important events um, in our space. So uh, wish I was there. Let's just you, say that. Wish I was there. We will make up for this. You are part of that sphere of influence. And everyone here, you are part of the Money Mafia. January was our best year we have ever had for the Money Mafia. The best month of downloads. I just said the best year. This kid's voice shot. Super Bowl's <laughs> taking a toll on his brain. It was the best month of downloads for the Money Mafia. So thank you. Thank you for everything you guys are bringing to the table. David, thank you for everything you're bringing to the table. And I want to wrap with this. People love the behind the scenes stuff. So we have something called Trading Secrets All Access. You can come behind the scenes. And in fact, this week, February 21st, President's Day, we have another networking event where we're going to talk all things behind the scenes Super Bowl that I did not cover. You can join us. Just shoot me an email, tradingsecrets at jasontardic.com. Let me know that you're interested. And we have an event where we're bringing an event coordinator on and David's curiosities regarding the Super Bowl will all be discussed. The dollars, the cents, all things. So give us five stars. Please smash that subscribe button. I can't tell you how much it helps us. And Money Mafia, I fucking love you guys. Tune in next week to another episode of Trading Secrets. I promise my voice will be better. One you can't afford to miss. note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.